What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. Jenna is already laughing because this might be one of, if not the most emotionally unhinged, (laughs) unhinged, yet emotionally charged episodes ever on What the Actual Fork. Um, And, you know, we were going to, we have always anticipated in the intro to do our What the Actual Fork moment of the week, but our amazing guest, Christine Byrne, who we will intro here in a second properly <laughs> properly um unfortunately she had to deal with our un unhingedness that's not a word um but her what the actual fork moment of the week was what we wanted to cover which is uh yesterday which was january 9th um there was an article that was dropped that the uh academy or american academy of pediatrics is now going to be recommending weight loss drugs and or bariatric surgery to children in certain age groups. Um, And I'm literally, like, I'm literally getting emotional just talking about, like right now I can feel my heart rate going up. Um, And so we, we talk about that in today's episode. Um, 2023 is turning out to be a real asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I really didn't think diet culture could get any worse, but you know what? I do think I don't know if she said it in the episode, but Christine at one point talked about how this, this could be the, you know, very heavy air quotes, like obesity, you know, doctors and medical care, like this could be them doubling down because it's like, wow, people are getting more informed of anti-diet intuitive eating health at every size. And like, we need to fight our, you know, fight with our obesity pitchforks. Gosh, darn it. Anyways. Okay. So Jenna. Talk to me because I'm getting emotional again. What we were talking about off air was just some of like the nutrition concerns that we have. So in the episode that you will hear very soon, we talk a lot about like the mental health aspects. We talk about like the fear implications that we have. Um, We talk about the fact that there's no long-term studies for this drug for adults. Like we question if there is for children, we are guessing that there's not, but like from the nutrition and dietetics perspective, if this drug is an appetite suppressant or part of it is suppressing the appetite and it's making you feel fuller than you should quote unquote, I, I heard that on the unsavory podcast that like small amounts of food are going to lead to you feeling much fuller than they should. Correct. So you do this with children. Okay. Ages 12 and up six and up, whatever it is. Um, they have a choice then of like what they're going to eat with the small amount of room that they now have in their tummies. I don't think that they're choosing like high quality, complete protein sources or like fruits, vegetables, and whole grains or things that we know from a nutrient 
standpoint that children need for growth and development still at age 12, right? Like I did not have my period at age 12. Like girls, females specifically are still very much growing. We know that men, boys mature much later. Like there's growth spurts happening to support growth spurts. We need nutrients, calories, AKA energy. Like, so when we give these children now a choice of what they want to eat with the small amount of room again, that they have, like what if they get full on a soda and that's all they have for the day, for the week, for the month? Like, that's scary to me. Well, that <laughs> that is clearly like, yes. And then you were talking about too, I think it was off air dehydration, the risk of dehydration. If they're filling their small little tummies with water and not enough water, but now you're not only not getting enough nutrients, but if you're not hydrated, every single cell in the body needs water to function and thrive properly. Um, so there's that concern. I also, I have many questions and I need to do more reading on this of, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics. When we look at pediatric nutrition recommendations, weight loss was never an intervention for children because there is so much growth and development that needs to happen. And like we just said, these calories, this energy, these nutrients are needed for proper growth and development. So where on earth did did these recommendations just get completely fucking thrown to the curb? And now it's like, oh, actually, we know we used to say that like, you should not have weight loss interventions for kids. But now actually, we're saying here's a pill and maybe you should do bariatric surgery while you're at it. When did that happen? Like, how did we just wake up to this news? That's where I'm just like, mind blown. And I I talk about this a little in the beginning too. And Sam and I were just saying, like, I don't even know what I said because I was so emotionally charged. But like, as a, a mom, I would do anything that a doctor told me to, if, to protect my child. Like if I'm a mom who is desperate in need to protect my child, I would do anything. And I can't help but think about the vulnerable human beings and parents and caregivers out there who are led to believe that this is the answer to protect their children. Yes. And thank you for saying that. And that's what I was trying to say in the episode, but I don't think I said it properly. (laughs) Well, and because how many, how many moms have you worked with that sit there riddled with guilt and shame of the diet culture that they have passed to their children because they didn't know better. And, and so a part of our job, we sit with human beings and work through dropping the guilt and shame because you can only help a child with their relationship with food and body as far as you've gone. Right. So you have to be aware of those concerns to be able to help cultivate this healthy relationship with food and body. So like you said, if a parent is told by a doctor that this is what you need to do, this is going to solve all of your child's health concerns, well, they're going to do anything they can fucking do to get this medication for their kid. But like this in turn is so dangerous. And we also work with the people right now as counselors, intuitive eating counselors and dietitians that were put on diets as children and are sifting through lifelong trauma of figuring out how to forgive their parents for putting them on diets. Can you imagine sitting with a future, you know, a now eight-year-old 20 years from now, that's like my mom put me on weight loss medication and made me get bariatric surgery when I was 13. How do I, how do I mend that relationship? And what happens in 10 years, let's say, when the medication goes away because they found out perhaps that it is dangerous or that they can't make it anymore, right? Yeah, a shortage. What happens 
what happens when it goes away? And now this person who was told that you at eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, that you are going to be healthy, loved and fixed, quote unquote, if you take this, but you have to take it for the rest of your life. But now it's gone. And mm. now they gain weight. And now they all of a sudden have hunger and fullness cue issues. And now they don't know digestive issues for do. sure. Because and they this don't is know- going to totally fuck your digestive system as soon as it goes into your body. And what is their relationship with food, body and self then? When now they've gained weight, let's say, because their body needs to. And what are they going to do? You think it's going to be something good for them? <laughs> like, no, they're going to find something else very dangerous to get back to this place where they were told this is how I'll be loved. And this is how I'll be safe. And this is how I'll be healthy. And this is how I'll be fixed. Yeah. Because they've been told that since they were eight years old. And we didn't even mention once in this episode the determinants of health and how our weight, <laughs> our weight is a genetic blueprint that is determined by our genetics and biology. So, uh, it's just or the fact that like the children's growth chart, like for my son's first six, seven months of life, I was going into the doctor and being told how underweight on the growth chart he was and how much he needed to gain and the growth chart, this and that. And they wanted him to be up in the 95th percentile. Right. And now all of, I just, the mind fuckery from a parent perspective too, is just very, it's getting to me right now. Can you tell? No, I mean, <laughs> like, same. And I, and I really do think like, I'm so like grateful that we're both parents too. To, like yes. not that, not that of course there's going to be dietitians and professionals and human beings that aren't parents that are very important in this conversation, but it just like, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes where like, if a doctor said this, when Sienna was in the room, I don't care what fucking age she is like the, um, I would lose my shit. And then to think, and then I, and then I just go through, I'm literally just circling through grief and rage because then I grieve for the parents that don't have the education for the parents that don't have the resources for the parents that don't know what we know from a health at every size intuitive eating, eating disorder perspective. Like this is not okay. Yeah. My mom and I were chatting this morning too. And her quote was just like, so powerful. Like you have this generation of parents that are trying to raise more emotional children. And like, we're doing so much work. Emotionally like mature, our, right? Um, right. To, yeah. re to raise like children that can like process their emotions and to like deal with tantrums better so that we're not stunting their ability to feel things and like, you know, baby led weaning so that they eat different foods. And like, we're doing all of these things to like raise these tiny humans, maybe differently than we were raised or our parents were raised. And then the media fucking like walks in with a pitchfork and is like, fuck what your parents say. Here's a weight loss drug. <laughs> like, like, it's just like, because it's not just the parents that don't know about intuitive eating and healing their relationship with food and body that have the children that are going to see this ad. It's the kids that are watching TV that maybe have the mom or dad or caregiver that is a food freedom household and neutral, and they don't talk about morality of food at the dinner table or wherever, but they see a commercial and they're like, mom, I want to be on that. I can like, what, like it's a, going to affect all children. And then I just, oh my God, I just cringed and honestly could cry thinking about like a commercial for this of like, what are we yes. going to show? Are we going to show a child in a larger body and then show a happy child and that same child in a smaller body? Like, of course, like, 
Your face uh, is getting bad. <laughs> I know. I'm like not okay. I'm very emotional right now. Um, it's just that I'm gl- horrible. It's it's truly horrible. And you know what? And and I'm so proud. Shout out to Luke, my husband, who doesn't listen to the podcast. But this morning I was breastfeeding Sienna, and he goes, <gasps> and he goes, you're gonna want to sit down for this. I'm like, turn around, like I'm sitting down. But he didn't see the article yesterday and I didn't share it with him for whatever reason. And he was like, Oh my God, did you know there's a weight loss drug for kids now? And he was like, so concerned. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing that you like, know that that's concerning, but like not the, the average humans don't, um, because of the fat phobic world full of weight stigma that we live in. Um, and if, and it's not their fault. Because no, this is no. the world that we live in. And that's because if you I and I didn't clear. become intuitive eating dietitians, we'd probably be like, oh, great. Like, are we going to recommend this to kids now? Because like we were brainwashed by diet culture and, uh, okay. We have to so, do our guest service intro. Um, <laughs> Christine was amazing. And we talk more about this in the pretty much the first half of the episode. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from it. So I'm going to kick us off, Sam. Um, Today we had on the podcast, Christine Byrne, who is a registered dietitian and longtime journalist. She takes a non-diet approach to health and believes that everyone can and should have a peaceful relationship with food. She owns a private practice in Raleigh, 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 Raleigh. (laughs) Oh, Jenna, you're such a Northerner. (laughs) Helping folks recover from eating disorders and disordered eating. She's a regular contributor for national outlets like Self, Outside Magazine, and Food Network, and she's published over a thousand articles, holy shit, that's so cool, about food and wellness over her 10-year media career. She's also a nutrition communications consultant for various companies and brands. Right now, she's working with Amazon on a on cool. nutrition content initiative that's accurate, inclusive, and actually helpful. Holy shit, why didn't we ask her about this? All right, Christine, you're coming to- back. I was going to, and then we just, I mean, that the conversation just went and so <laughs> it, it really did, but let's, you know what we need to thank you, Christine, for being the catalyst to bring this conversation up because had Christine not brought it up, I wasn't going to bring it up on her episode, but I, I honestly like was feeling really discouraged even coming on to record today because I felt very like, like very distracted because of this news. Like I felt like we couldn't talk without talking about this. So thank you, Christine, for giving us the ability to talk about it in the platform. Wait, when I asked her in the beginning, before we record, like, are you sure there's no other boundaries that you want to bring up today? Is that what you meant? I, yes. I just wanted to see if she was like, Hey, I'm not ready to talk about this. And she didn't say that, but then she went there like, 60 seconds in. So you guys enjoy this episode because it is a beautiful and important one. All righty. Well, Christine, we're really excited to jump into conversation with you today. And I had to go back through my inbox before we had you on. I was like, I've chatted with Christine before virtually. Um, so this is our first time talking, but we did a piece together in 2021, I believe that I definitely want to circle back to, but before we get there, we love to start these episodes with asking our our guests, what is your, what the actual fork moment of the week, month, year, although the year has only been a few days, what has stopped you in your tracks from a diet culture perspective to say what the actual fork? 
Well, can we talk about the thing that happened yesterday, which you might have already seen? We were hoping you I, would say that. I was going to yeah. talk about this in our intro if you didn't bring it up. So let's yeah. let's fucking go there. Go. Yeah. Go well, for a second, I was like, oh, I should have prepared something. But then it, then it just hit me because, oh, my God, the American Academy of Pediatrics just re- released these, quote, obesity guidelines that even – knowing how anti-fat the medical field and the world as well is are pretty shocking don't you think and basically they're saying behavioral interventions for kids six and over above a certain weight threshold that weight loss drugs should be considered for kids above a threshold that are 12 and up and that bariatric surgery is on the table for teenagers, for kids 13 and over. And I just think that's crazy. And I've, so I've never worked clinical before, but even the people I know who work clinical who are not in the Hays space are typically like bariatric surgery sucks. Like we see these people who have had bariatric surgery come into the hospital their absorption is totally fucked. Their digestive systems totally just irre- irreversibly damaged. Mm-hmm. Like, just like a really, it's a really big deal to have bariatric surgery. And I'm not, I'm just focusing on that one messed up piece of it. But like, oh my God. It almost felt like I was reading a typo when I read it. And like <laughs> I, I like commented on somebody on TikTok. I was like, I'm just like, I don't have my emotions like put together yet because it doesn't feel real. Like I read this article that said we should be using motivational interviewing skills with six-year-olds. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Also what? Like they're six. Yeah. They don't have brain capacity to listen. And like hunger and fullness cues in six-year-olds. Like I'm just it feels like a typo. Yeah. And someone who's 13 is like, that might be a girl who hit puberty at 10 and is grew. She grew faster than other people. Not to say that regardless, it's kind of, I don't even, I don't even know. It's so wild. And it's just, Oh, when I think of like the kids that I see with eating disorders, it's hard enough already to convince them that it's okay to gain weight back. And now it's just going to be like, oh, I can't, I can't, I just don't even, it's so, it's so wild. Well, to add on to this moment, I was scrolling. So Sam sent our team like this article first thing this morning. And then within two minutes later, my mom sent me one from a local um, a local newspaper. And then I opened up social media and saw that a med spa in northern New Jersey is now selling semaglutide injections for weight loss. And, you know, their clientele is not is not who, uh, you know who their clientele is, right? So the entire diet culture in the media state right now is just, I didn't think it could go this low. (laughs) I had someone send me the article I sent you this morning, Jenna, the one about, you know, the AAP recommending 
weight loss, drugs, and, and surgery to children. Someone sent it to me on Facebook, like (laughs) sent it to find food freedom on Facebook. And I was like, you know, what's the number one, like trashy false news outlet Facebook. So I was like, this has (laughs) to be a joke. Like, and then I was reading it and it just felt like the biggest gut punch. Like I remember when the news came out about Kerbo, like Weight Watchers doing, you know, targeting children through their Kerbo app. And it kind of felt that way, but honestly, obviously way worse. And just now being like a new mom and like, just like the protector mom mode you have over your own child but then but then you go but then I just start to flash and think about every client I've ever worked with yesterday we had a group coaching call where every single person was put on a diet at eight years old seven years old 11 years old and they are now in their 50s 40s 30s hating themselves you know going through this cyclical dieting and I just like want to cry and scream and punch a wall and like I put up a TikTok saying like I know I need to address this, but like, I'm not ready yet because I'm going to fucking kill someone. <laughs> like yeah. I just, I, I, I'm like, I, th- how this is like physical abuse on children. It's, it does actually seem pretty abusive. It's abuse. Like it's abuse. And it's so it's, but you think uh, about uh, like the, so you think about like the desperation though of people who are not informed like we yes. are yes, and saying like, you're hearing these stories, like my kid, this is, if I don't fix this, this is what's going to happen. Cause this is what the media is telling me and the desperation, the, the scared, like I'm trying to put myself into that like mindset of like who this is being targeted to. And it makes me even angrier. And like, there's, a lot of spaces that we need to fill to fix that first. Does that make sense? Like for sure being targeted ha- doesn't have the education to well, get to this space to understand what we're yeah. talking about. Right. Cause it's like the next, so like a lot of our clients and I'm sure you guys have similar clientele, but at fine food freedom, like our average clients in their forties, they all have a, I don't want to say they all right. Everyone has a similar lived experience, but not the same story, but I hear commonly how they were brought to Weight Watchers from their parents. Mm. Well, now what's going on? Ozempic, Manjaro, all of these injectable drugs that the now, you know, younger generations are doing as moms. And are they, is this the next bringing your kid to Weight Watchers? Is this the next like, oh, well, we'll just give our child the drug because I don't want them to struggle how I did when it's like, that's literally going to exacerbate everything. Yeah. Right. And like that Weight Watchers crowd was laughing at the people in the 70s who are using weight loss drugs. And it was like, oh, we've learned so much. Now we're now we're doing it more holistically or naturally or whatever they thought. And now it's just yeah, now it's just back. I also have parents because I think, yeah, well, there are still parents that probably bring their kids to Weight Watchers, but there's a little more awareness of how that might be harmful. And I'll have parents ask me, like, where did my kid learn this? Like kids who are restricting kids who have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where, where did they not? Even if yeah. you didn't talk about it, which Correct. unless you've made a really conscious effort not to, you probably have, have instilled some messages that mm-hmm. are diet culture But even if you didn't, 
everywhere, like in health clubs, on TikTok, from their friends, from their friends' parents, in movies. It's just Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The media, like all media, period. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, this was a good start. <laughs> Sorry, Christine, you went there and I was like, oh yeah, let's fucking go there. And I'm just uh, like charged right now. I about feel like it. I just don't have all of my facts straight to like really understand. I want us to really cover this too, like, and read up on it and really understand. I did listen to, we had these dietitians on our podcast recently, but I listened to the unsavory podcast episode on the Ozempic crisis. We could call it. I think that's what the title of their episode was. Um, and it was very informational. And one of the things that they said that I thought was really interesting and from a child perspective, I think it's horrifying, but like there are no long-term studies on these drugs for weight loss for adults. So it, they have the long-term studies on people with diabetes, right? About their blood sugars, A1C levels, but they don't have, from what I understood, long-term studies beyond five years for the weight, the person taking it for weight loss. Do we think that they have that for kids? Like, no. they definitely don't. So, like, what are we subjecting our children to? Like, that's abuse. really scary. Abuse. <laughs> like, it's really scary. Straight up abuse. These kids don't know what they're doing. Here, honey, take a pill. Like, I yeah. can't. I, it's. And you're right, Jenna. We, I know. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. True, true. Sorry. Sorry. Here, let me, let me stick you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a needle that you have to take forever, right? And right. we know that. That, like, if you get any effects from it they only you only if you lose weight on this drug I'll just say that yeah um you only probably will keep that off if you keep injecting it forever at the same dose and how so like and then from the affordability standpoint too right like yeah. I think I read that it's $1,600 a month now you're starting at age 12 for the rest of your life like, that's insane. I'm sure there's insurance, but like, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. So sure. We need to do more research to better understand, but I, like, I don't want to speak for you too, but I think it's safe to say that this is fucking diet culture at a, just a pinnacle. Like, I don't need to do research to know that this is dangerous. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, this is how disordered eating and eating disorder Dieting is the number one predictor. And now we're going to give a, oh, I got, oh, okay. We got to switch the subject because Sammy's getting heated <laughs> over here. So Christine, yeah, we can talk about this right. all day. <laughs> all damn day. But I want to leave space if you guys have an ending thought, but I just feel like we're not, like we could talk about this all day and just be, ugh. Yeah, I think- I, I'm with you. Well, Christine, I would love to know from, I we, I want you to tell us more about you and your story, but I would love to know from the writing perspective, from a journalism perspective, like, will there be space, do you think, in media outlets to talk about the dangers of it or like the non-promotional side of it? Because I'm sure we're going to see a lot of bandwagon like articles about this because this we know is what people read so do you think that there will be space or airtime quote unquote for the other side of this story yeah I think so so yeah my background is in journalism yeah, tell us. Still, <laughs> yeah um I still write a little bit just to answer this question well one of the reasons I was so surprised by it is because 
Well, I guess not surprised because the medical community and the media are separate and that is how it should be. But like the media has been pretty critical of Ozempic, I think. And there have been a lot of stories about how, you know, this, we don't really know the long-term effects of this. It's leading to a shortage of medication for people who actually need this for diabetes. It probably only works if you stay on it. It's very expensive. It's kind of like the celebrity Hollywood fad. Like I think they've, they've kind of been painting it that way, at least in what I've seen as sort of, yeah, like the new Fenfen or the new mm. quick, expensive weight loss fix. So I, and I actually do think that the media will jump on that part of it. I think less so on the behavioral interventions because people that don't really know think like, oh yeah, good. Just teach kids how to eat well and exercise and but 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 I think even even health journalists are gonna be like, what? You wanna give a thirteen year old bariatric surgery? That's pretty messed up. So I think we're gonna see a lot of criticism I hope I hope by the time this comes out that will already be out there you're giving us so much hope right now you're turning <laughs> you're you're turning this story around for sure um so tell us a little bit more about you though because um we know that you have been a part of major publications had some amazing anti-diet work out there so how did you get to where you are today personally professionally where did your passion come from yeah so I well, I actually started as a line cook in a restaurant. That was my first job. So I was always interested in food, definitely from like a somewhat disordered place, as most of us are. And that led me to, yeah, cooking in a restaurant. I think I always kind of wanted to be a writer, so kind of segued that experience into food writing. And then I, my first job was at BuzzFeed. And you need to like, go back nine years to what BuzzFeed used to be because it's not it's kind of similar but it was it was like really sort of just starting and it was a lot of similar to what it is now but we did we do a lot of cool stuff we did a lot of like I got to do a lot of these crazy recipe projects and things like that and then sort of veered more into nutrition I think because I was kind of interested in it and that's because that's what people were looking for. So did more of that, got more into that, definitely not from an anti-diet perspective. At first, there's some things on the internet that I've written that I'm like, oh, go away. But I think all of us, all of us, anyone who has been on the internet since the beginning of their career could say the same. So that, that makes me feel a bit better. Um, but then I job at Self Magazine. And it was a big time for Self. Like there was a lot going on, sort of a rebrand. And it was like a time of really deeply thinking, like, how do we talk about health? How do we talk about nutrition? And intuitive eating, anti-diet, health every size was already in the conversation that most of us were paying attention to. So I think just, we just sort of like logic it out. And we were like, wait, a lot of this diet stuff 
it just doesn't work because if it worked, we wouldn't be talking about it anymore. And if we try and define healthy eating, like how we use that term all the time, even like healthy recipes, but what does that mean? It means nothing. It means that you look at a picture and you're like, Oh, it has a lot of vegetables or it says it's low calorie or it says it's hyper just like so random. So that sort of got us all and me in particular, really thinking about that. So I sort of transitioned into writing more just from that perspective and then I burned out. And so I decided I wanted to be a dietitian (laughs) and that took four years because I was an English major. So I did a lot of freelance writing in the meantime. And that's when I really got to, I mean, I was forced to write a lot. So I really got to explore like a lot of the intuitive eating, body liberation, kind of like different perspectives on traditional wellness, which is hard to do because a lot of people just want the traditional perspective on wellness. And I would have made a lot more money and spent many fewer hours writing if I just wrote those like bullshit weight loss stories because they're so much easier, but I could not. So that kind of, that's how it happened. And I've been a dietitian for like a year and a half and I write and I have a private practice that sees eating disorders here in North Carolina. So that's a long story. (laughs) That's amazing. And now you're doing a little bit of everything, which is incredible. Um, So one of the questions that I have is more for your writing realm, but even today with all we know, I read this statistic recently online that said, when I say online, I mean, saw it on social media in a video format. Um, I think it was based on an article that came out a couple of years ago that 70%, I think was the stat of information that goes viral on any media platform is untrue, um, is filled with like lies, quote unquote, or has false information or misleading information in it. So I think social media, I think who's going viral on social media right now, like Uh, we'll talk about them again, the carnivores, you know, like all of that stuff that just goes viral has this like misleading content tied to it. So even today with all we know about diets in general and diet culture, can I ask you from your experience, like what gets the most opens reads and asks for writing from these big publications? I'm sure I'm not going to like the answer, but I'm just curious. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a good question. Honestly, I feel like the two of you probably know more about social media than I do. Like you might be more tapped into that space, but you're totally right. And the best way I've heard somebody sort of tackle that is that it's way easier to go viral when you're lying than it is when you're telling the truth. And when everyone's lying, the truth can't compete because the truth is like way more boring and not just totally manufactured to go viral. So I think that's definitely true. It's similar in, I think even less than 30% of the information online, not just on social media, is coming from actual nutrition experts or actually has like cited experts as sources. Most of it is from just people that, that basically are regurgitating it from somewhere else. So I think in terms of what what goes quote unquote viral for media, 
it's a little the picture is not as bleak as social media I think because there's more nuance and people are interested in these alternative perspectives but definitely people are still googling weight loss and five ways to eat less or 10 things you can do to lose weight or here's why the carnivore diet is the best diet are just like that's still clickbait that's still working you know which oh it just sucks because I think people are kind of starting to know better but that still grabs you because you still want it and everyone still thinks like there is a way I just haven't found it yet I wish I wish we could just convince people by saying, hey, there's there's actually not a way, right? But unfortunately, that that doesn't necessarily work. But so from a journalism perspective and and from a reading perspective, because you're right, Jenna and I are very like, like we talk a lot about TikTok on here. Let's just call it what it is. Um, <laughs> so if we're talking about like actual publications, how can readers support anti-diet messages are there things that they can do or not do in their search bars that's going to affect their seo and not only to support the anti-diet messages but i think of so many of my clients and i'm sure you guys can agree with this this time of year right january they're like how do i stop getting targeted with all of the diet stuff like i'm reporting it i'm but like it's still there so are there any hacks you have from like a back end journalist view of how we can support the anti-diet messages and see more of them if that's what we want to see. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of a feedback loop, right? So if you're searching weight loss, people are going to write about weight loss. Even, I think you'd be surprised or maybe not, but even like the most prestigious news outlets are targeting SEO. Like they're writing news stories about current events, yes. But particularly, I think wellness and diet kind of often falls under like lifestyle or just the style section, which is more evergreen, which is our word for like, it's not tied to news. People are searching it all the time. It's not really timely. So that kind of stuff is more SEO based. So they're going on like, yeah, people are Googling the Ducan diet. I think that's way out of date, but whatever. Then they're going to write about it. Or if you're Googling the carnivore diet, they're going to write about it. And even if even if they're writing stories that are taking it down, it's just like feeding it, right? And like, it just keeps it up there in the Google trends and in the search bar and people keep writing about it. But if we're Googling intuitive eating, or I think body neutrality is definitely a word that I've seen kind of pop in 2022. And more people are going to talk about it in 2023. But like, yeah, search those things. And in searching them, you can learn more about them. So learn more about those things. It'll show these media outlets that you're interested. They're looking at social media too. So they're seeing like what's trending. So those two things aren't independent of each other. Like if something is exploding on TikTok, then like the New York Times is probably going to write about it which is crazy to think, but it's true. 
Wait, so you're telling me that I'm fucking myself over by Googling these things to get content, but then- and then talking about it. Stop, stop re- rebuttaling the carnivore man or whatever the yeah. fuck he's called on TikTok because it's just yeah. feeding him. I feel like I'm making progress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all do that because that is thing to do, right? Like when you see ridiculous stuff going viral, your post refuting it are gonna do well that's just how it it goes but yeah it's a crazy world that we live in well what's so interesting of what you said is like this full circle like loop and it ties in so much of what we talk about on this podcast about how things can be misconstrued and messages can be mixed up there is a girl on social media I don't know her name she's very well liked she seems like a very nice person she has a walking pad. I have a walking pad. You can see it in my office. Um, and she posted something once about wearing her Apple watch on her ankle. So she tracks every single step she takes. And it was at a time where I was working a lot with people who are still, you know, working on their relationship with fitness, right? Which is a theme we talk about a lot. And so I made this rebuttal video. This was over a year ago now, it's still getting backlash. Okay. I made this rebuttal video where I basically was like, it was snarky, but like, do we actually need to track every step that we take? Right. Like, you know, that if you take a step and it doesn't count on your Apple watch, like it still counts, right? Like it's still a step that was taken. And that was really my message, but it came off pretty bitchy. Like I, I will say that anyways, People love this woman. She recently walked a marathon during her nine to five work day. Oh, it's and that shape, girl? It's and that shape, girl? Shape.com, Instagram just wrote this huge expose on her and like her walking pad. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I was just trying to let people know that it's okay to not track every fucking step that you take. It's also okay to not walk a marathon during your nine to five work day. Just want to <laughs> add that in there. Yeah, that seems like something we should not celebrate. Because thank how you. how did she get any work done? Jenna's I mean, like, thank you, you so it? much for supporting my thought. <laughs> no, that every time is... I get a comment on this video, I delete it now because I'm like, listen, I she's fine. Like, I'm happy for her, good for her, but like there is this understanding that we all need to have that like Every, like I just oh it drives me nuts especially with the walking aspect and the 10,000 steps a day like you don't have to track every step that you take and that's exactly what she's promoting why are we wearing our watch around our ankle like I don't get it I, I don't get it I took my apple watch off like two years ago and mm-hmm. nothing has changed like I still it's just and I, I I get that that you do kind of like become a as the like oh data so interesting and then you just become kind of a slave to it even in subtle ways and it and yeah I haven't worn it in two years and I think some days I walk more and some days I walk less but like my body's pretty much the same my health is pretty much the same and it's all good Mm, very true and Jenna I think I remember you sharing this back when it happened of like, cause you were just saying like, Hey, this could be a sign of like a disordered relationship with food or movement. That doesn't mean that that girl, I don't know her name, but I know who you're talking about, like has a disordered relationship with food or movement. Yes. 
those are some signs, but, um, it doesn't mean that. And that's, you know, with disordered eating and disordered relationship with movement, those are all like increased risk, right. Of eating disorder. So of course, as three dietitians that service and support people that have chronically died and have eating disorder, we're going to be like, oh, that's like kind of a red flag and a stepping stone and a gateway to an eating disorder. Um, but clearly it didn't land well. And I mean, you know, that I've put out many, many pieces that haven't landed well too. So it's just, it is what it comes along with the job, unfortunately, you yeah. know, that is one nice thing about, I mean, I have editors when I'm writing for editorial and sometimes that's frustrating, but sometimes it's mostly good because I remember with the Adele weight loss thing, I mean, there, I think it was a Vogue interview where she said that she was exercising three times a day. And I was like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it was something, it was something like that. Don't quote me exactly. But I was like, I wrote something in it that was like, and that is quite disordered. And the editor was like, we can't say that without knowing her. And I was like, okay, I guess um, I see what you mean. And maybe best to do it your way but also like whoa that's a lot of times a day and you don't want to glorify that so then people be like right this is what Adele did so now I need to work out three times a day because Christine said it wasn't disordered I don't even feel comfortable like mentioning it without saying this is this is not appropriate Um, these behaviors become normalized yeah. And sell and then celebrated. Like you just said, like what whatever publication or news outlet just did a whole story on her. And I, I saw the comments on that video. People like, this is amazing. And like I get from an, a standpoint of like, wow, okay, in a work day, like that's wild. You can do that from home. But like again, not we never want the intention of that video for people to be like, I need to walk 26.2 miles in my work day. Okay, so yeah, let's that's keep like going. raising We're... money for charity kind of thing. Yeah. Not like a, yeah. And so she wrote in this article or she was quoted in the article saying like, she's not sure she would do it again, but how many people watching that are going to do that twice a week now, right? Just because they can or worse. And if you ask any marathon runners, they do one a quarter to a year, right? Like these are things they train for very, very long term. And they do it every, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a marathon runner, clearly, clearly, but I don't think they do them every day, right? No. And they also fuel very properly for them and eat consistently even through them. So in this video, I didn't watch it. I'm sure she has me blocked by now. I hope she does. Um, yeah. But, you know, I don't think they show her eating food. I remember she took a Diet Coke break at some point. I I think, I think, don't quote me on that, but I remember there was just like a, like a Diet Coke or something. And there was food. There was food. She did talk about food because like it was her work day. So like, but like, I do remember a Diet Coke break. I need to, I need to confirm this. I do want to clarify, like, this is nothing against her, but I think it's a larger conversation of what gets influenced, right? So what are we influencing by doing this? Like, cool that you did that, but there are vulnerable people that watch this video and now this is something that they should try. 
because well, they that's also like the like what I eat makeup. in a day video, right? The what I eat in a day Ooh. video. <laughs> yes. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like watching those. Um, did you, I- I'm interested to hear from a, like a publication standpoint, Christine, have you been asked, you know, with all of your connections and food and health and wellness, like, did anyone ever come to you and say like, can you write a, what I eat in a day, like publication or, you know, article on this? Good question. Um, no, no one has ever asked me to write what I eat in a day, but I have written twice about the phenomena of what I eat in a day. And you know what? I think it's a good way to talk about sort of like, it's like the celebrity culture has moved to influencer culture and made it seem like celebrity culture is totally accessible to all of us. Because I don't know if you two have ever read but and I think they still do it. Um, New York Magazine's Grub Street Diet. Mm-hmm. It's basically what I eat in a day, but it's celebrities. And they've been doing this for years. Like it, this predates Instagram. And it's once a week. And some famous person, usually while they're like in the middle of a Broadway show or on a book tour or some kind of fun circumstance, writes this diary that weaves like, their daily life and that cool stuff they're doing with what they're eating. And it's a lot of restaurant name dropping a lot of it. I used to think it was kind of fun to read. And for some reason that didn't totally, it was also a different time in my life where I wasn't as clued into diet culture and stuff like that. But, but that seems like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. There wasn't a weight loss angle to it, but now that's like trickled down and everybody is sharing what they eat in a day. And there's not also the cool context of like what their fun, unique jobs look like and how it all weaves together and like what restaurants they're going to. It's just like, ugh, it's just like pictures and videos of what they eat in a day, usually with like a, yeah, a photo of their abs at the beginning, 100%. So it's like, it's just, it's just the worst possible example of relatability of like sharing. There's no, we're not getting anything from that except this really toxic comparison of what other people eat versus what we eat. That's such a great point. And I feel like with that, you even brought in, we could bring in a whole nother conversation of this, like not only what you're eating, but just your day to day. I, I saw somebody on TikTok where people were talking about like Alex Earl is this new phenomenon on TikTok. And again, there's nothing against her. It could be her. It could be any of the influencers on TikTok that, you know, they're showing themselves flying private to LA mm-hmm. and, you know, getting this like $25 smoothie that like anyways, and not going to a job, right? Because that's her <laughs> job and she's getting paid up to 70,000. I think I saw for like one TikTok video or 40 to 70. Um, Jenna's correcting me. What is the correct number? A hundred thousand. Okay. Oh TikTok. my God. Okay. Just so, so we're clear. <laughs> okay. So hopefully this source is correct, right? Because who knows if we got the info from TikTok, but that's what I mean. Like we're seeing that all over our page. And then there's the comparison trap of like, why can't I be an influencer and get paid a hundred thousand dollars to post one video? And I have to go to work nine to five and did it. And it's just like this mm-hmm. constant comparison trap of whether it's your body, whether it's what you're eating, whether it's your job or your house, right? You see these like 
cleaning videos of like cleaning their white marble fucking islands that take up like 50 foot of a kitchen. And so I think like just to get to the root of it, like how comparison is the thief of joy. And no matter what you're comparing, like you are enough, you have enough. And, and that's a very broad thing for me to stay say, because of course there's privilege and, and other things that go into this conversation, but comparison trap on social media is so real. And I feel like it's just booming more and more and more as the years go on. Yeah. And like, haven't we had enough of that? I don't know. It's just how old are, are I think we're all about the same age. I'm like mm-hmm. 34, mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so the oldest. Was, ooh. <laughs> but this was not a thing when we were in high school and not even thank in God. Like, I didn't, we didn't have Facebook existed when I was in college, but it was totally different. As you know, it's just like, you were talking to your friends. It was so fun. You were posting a status like blacked out last night. Yeah, you were like friending your crush and it was so exciting. And Um, the pictures that you posted weren't instantaneous. Like I used to bring out my red Canon camera. Digital camera. And I was the one that took pictures of all my friends and now they're hidden on Facebook albums. Same. I hid every single album. <laughs> oh my gosh. But there yeah. was censorship. Like there was like yeah. personal censorship to some extent. I don't know. It is very scary, but we have just taken this conversation in so many loopholes. I feel like we need to listen <laughs> to it back and make sure I was so heated in the beginning. I don't even remember what I said. I feel like mm. it needs to be edited. Um, no. But Christine, this episode has been, we want to respect your time. It's been really natural and I think filled with a lot of really important information and we say this a lot in episodes where we say a lot of really good things um but if somebody is listening to this episode and you want them to walk away with one piece of knowledge to remember it by maybe that we talked about or maybe that we haven't what is something that you would want our listeners to know yeah well I think when it comes to media consumption you're not totally helpless to just be seeing everything. I think you can choose what you search and you can choose who you follow and the kind of things you read. So that doesn't mean you can totally change the media landscape or the conversation. But I I think if you're frustrated by the amount of weight loss stuff you're getting or the amount of diet culture you're seeing, like make a more conscious effort to get that stuff away from you and to get more of the anti-diet body neutral, body liberation stuff in front of you instead. I love that. And for our listeners, where can they best find you and a lot of your work if they want to read more of your pieces and see all things Christine? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Christine J. Byrne. And my website is the same. It's christinejburn.com for now. Um, So I post a lot on in all those places. And I will share anything new that I have coming up, like hopefully a story about the disgusting pediatric quote unquote obesity guidelines. We are happy to be quoted. (laughs) If uh, (laughs) if you become very emotionally charged anti-dietitians, we are here for you. Cool. Thank Thank you you. so much. (laughs) Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.